Well, g'day and welcome to episode 18 of the Aussie Church Leaders Podcast, where our goal is simple. We want to help you lead stronger for longer in your ministry context. And um, if you're new listening with us today, we want to say a big welcome to you. We hope this podcast uh, is helpful and we hope it really does help you lead stronger for longer in your ministry context. If you're part of the Aussie Church Leaders family, welcome back. And you may be noticing, hey, this podcast is coming out a little bit early. It's not the first Tuesday of the month. And the reason for that is pretty simple. This year, we want to make an effort as best we can to, uh, to bring you as much helpful and engaging content as we possibly can. And so throughout the year, we're going to be sharing interviews that we've had with church leaders across the country so that it might help you um, lead stronger for longer in your ministry context. And today, I'm going to be sharing an interview that uh, I had uh, the other week with Derek Hanna. And Derek is the general manager of an organization called Geneva Push here in Australia, which is a church planting network. Uh, prior to being the general manager of Geneva Push in 2009, Derek planted Village Church in Brisbane. He currently lives in um, Brisbane with his uh, wife Jacqueline, and they've got three joys who bring uh, boys actually who bring them joy and worry in equal measure, and they're part of a local church here in Brisbane. But just before we get to that conversation, um, I'd love for you if this podcast has been helpful to you in any way, shape, or form, if you could simply leave it a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. It really helps us out and uh, and helps get the message out to like-minded leaders like you. Otherwise, if you want to share this podcast with some leaders who you think it might be helpful with or share it on social media, that also just helps get this podcast into the earbuds of leaders who, are, who like you, want to go stronger for longer in their ministry context. Other than that, without further ado, I'd love to bring you the conversation that I had with Derek Hanna, the General Manager of Geneva Push. Well, Derek, thanks for joining us on the Aussie Church Leaders Podcast. Um, for everyone out there who might not know you, might not be familiar with uh, with Geneva Push, which is the network that you're associated with, why don't you take a minute to kind of let us know maybe who who you are, mm. faith journey, what you currently do now. Um, that's a lot. That's a big question to kind of kick us off. I will I will summarise. Uh, so I'm I became a Christian when I was about uh, sixteen. Uh, one of my friends just faithfully in youth church youth group yeah. just kept inviting me to stuff. Just kept nagging me, and eventually I said yes, and I went to this. Um, I went to this weekend away, which is kind of a Christian thing. And this was, that, was that your first youth experience? No, it wasn't because I grew okay. up in church, um, but I was never engaged at all. Okay. In fact, I, I was a little bit anti-church, partly because I found it so dull and boring. Okay, um, so church kind of made you anti-church. Yeah, it did. And I went to a Christian school as well. Okay. So yep. there was a whole bunch of pressure. And part of, I think, my personality, not good, not necessarily bad, just who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this plays into the church planning aspect as well, what I'm sure we'll come to later. Part of it is pushing back against what is. So, okay. if you, you know, I want to be contrary. And that's not godly. It's not necessarily helpful, but it is part of who I am. And so in that, for me, uh, was this... Uh, this church environment, which I felt like I was being pushed into, that I didn't want to have a bar of. Anyway, my friend, good guy, invited yep. me. Just kept he just kept faithfully inviting me and stuff. Finally said yes. Went to this weekend away. This guy gave this talk. It was an awful talk. It was it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. And so if I was critiquing this guy's talk, oh, he would have copped it. Um, yep. But at sixteen, God is good and gracious. Yeah. And I look back on that and I think. Uh, yeah, there's been lots of parts of my ministry that God has worked through that have been awful as well. <laughs> so I want to cut this guy a huge amount of slack. But anyway, God worked through that. I he he preached the gospel, and um, yeah, I became a Christian in that, and that was that was the start for me of of uh, the journey of working out what it looked like to to serve God in a whole bunch of ways. And did you did you begin to engage at that particular church? Or did you re-engage at the church you'd grew up in? No, up? I didn't. I moved churches. Yeah, good yeah. question. So I moved churches to yeah. where my friend was. Um, and uh, I was within that church. It was a, it's a little suburb in Sydney called Lugano. Um, okay. whereabouts, whereabouts is that for someone like Northern? Who doesn't like know where Lugano is? Um, and <laughs> no one knows where Lugano is. Lugano is this little peninsula in Sydney, South Sydney, about 20, 25 minutes south of the city. Okay. Um, and it's a little, it's, it is like this little village. You don't drive through it. There's no bridges. Um, okay. 
great place to grow up. But there was a little Anglican church there that I started going to. And it was it was nothing special at some level, this church, but there was it was a particular moment in history that I was fortunate enough to be there. A whole bunch of people my age yep. uh, who were really, God was really working in, um, and a whole bunch of people four or five years older than us who mm. God had been working in for years who were investing in our generation. Yeah. So across those two groups of people, now I look across Australia, and they're involved in ministries uh, in all different churches, across all different parts of the country. Yeah. And uh, so I, that was where I went to church. And those, this guy, one guy in particular, um, I'll name him because he's, you know, he had a huge influence on my life. His name's Carl Manai. Uh, he discipled me for a couple of years, just yep. kept coming over for breakfast at six in the morning every week, eating wheat bix with me <laughs> and reading the and Bible. And how old were you at this stage? I was probably 16. Yeah, 16. That's a lot of commitment for you to get up at six in the morning. And, it was, and how old was he? He would have been 21. Yeah, he was That's going through uni. That's impressive for a 16-year-old and a 21-year-old to well, get up at 6 in the morning. Carl is an impressive person. Okay. Um, and at that age as well, as a 16-year-old who'd just become a Christian, it was it was a unique experience to have a guy who was older take that much interest in my mm. welfare. Yeah. And so there's why I did not like getting up at 6. Yeah. Uh, he, he just invested in me over those couple of years and... Uh, yeah, that that was really significant. That's really really cool, and I like the fact um, within that story you sort of say, oh, there was a, <clears throat> these two generations that were sort of pouring the old one pouring into the other, and I'm sure, you know, as you've seen in ministry, like when you pour into others, you always get poured into and you learn stuff back. But it's great to hear that now those those two groups are still continuing in ministry because there's nothing worse than hearing stories about leaders who are like, hey, we had this awesome youth group, and then, yeah. well, it just kind of it was just. You know, it's not that Dissipated. God didn't do anything mm. and God didn't move, but now it's just sort of like, where is everyone? Mm. So kind of came to faith, this guy, um, Carl, um, poured into you. Then then where was the step? Was it straight into Bible college after you finished high school or what yeah. happened then? Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, it, within that miss, there are a number of other guys as well who we walked along. So a guy named Graham, uh, Graham Jolliffe as well. Mm. Uh, when Carl went off and Carl did an apprenticeship MTS somewhere. Uh, and so guys like Graham kept kind of nudging us along in the next step. So when I went to uni, I was involved in the Christian group there yep. um, quite heavily. And that started me thinking through as I was doing that, as I was studying and involved there, seeing I was growing, I was seeing other people become Christians, thinking what would it look like to be engaged in ministry? Yeah, And a really healthy culture in Sydney in the circles I was mixing in at that time was around apprenticeships, two-year apprenticeships uh, for ministry. Okay. Um, was that a particular so, denomination that had that model or just in general? Oh, uh, it was It was often driven by the Anglicans. Okay, Sydney, sure. But it was much wider than that. Yep. Uh, so Philip Jensen at, at Uni of New South Wales, he, uh, he, was, he and Cole Marshall were the guys who started that particular movement, but yep. they're not unique. Like they're happening all over the country, yeah. different names. That just happened to be the circles I was in. Um, and so in that, as I'm walking through uni, uh, I was thinking, you know, what would it look like to actually serve? Because I was loving serving in the group. I wasn't really enjoying my degree. It was boring as all get out. But, um, and I was an awful student as well. So I was thinking, how would I, I want to do something meaningful. Okay. And so I was involved in that Christian group. Um, and I was thinking, do I do an apprenticeship? Uh, I had to uh, talk to a guy who was on campus as one of the, he was actually the local minister. And he wisely said to me, you just finish your degree and then we'll have a conversation, which was okay. good advice. Um, he wasn't trying to put the, the, the brakes on anything, wasn't trying to dampen the spirits, yeah. just saying it's actually really good to complete stuff. So how yeah. about you do that instead of you know expressing your AD and D and just by kind of coming and doing it. So how it. many years did you have left on your degree at that point? Uh, I was I had that conversation about a year and a half before I finished with him. Okay. And yeah, so, so 18 thinking, months is still a good chunk of time to be yeah. kind of continuing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was a good, it was a good work. I was thinking I could do the, the apprenticeship part-time and study part-time and he's saying no just finish it mm-hmm. and then we'll talk anyway so I when I finished I went I went and got a, a job for a while but it was always on the radar so we moved out to be at church where he this guy was at church I had the conversation with and we worked with him for a couple of years just alongside just I was working in a job I was mm-hmm. working for Qantas driving to the city each day uh, and I didn't mind that, but over the time, just the years that I worked for Qantas, it was I was involved in the local church, and there was always that question of um, should I be serving God in a in a different capacity, not yes. serving God, just serving God in a different, different capacity yeah. to how I am now. Yeah, and I like that distinction, particularly for a lot of our listeners who are perhaps um, 
in careers that aren't in the church, there's mm-hmm. that there's often that idea that like, oh, I've got to really if if I want to serve God, I've got to do it in a full time ministry capacity. So I love that distinction. Mm-hmm. And then what brought about the decision or the events surrounding? Okay, um, I'm at Qantas. I've got my degree. I've moved out to this church um, to be around this guy who's offering apprenticeships. What what happened that kind of led to that? Okay, I'm gonna gonna take the the full time ministry route. Yeah, yeah, it's. You know, God, in my experience, God never works in a in a linear fashion. Um, it's always kind of curveballs from the side. So I had gone overseas with Qantas. I'd been seconded to a project in, in the UK. And when I came back, I, I was married at that time. I'd been married when I was about 21. Mm-hmm. And we felt really discombobulated with being back in, back in Sydney. Uh, we'd been detached from things for a while. Uh, we'd, had, we'd had to uproot and then... Uh, to go to London and upward again to come back mm-hmm. earlier than we thought. And we were just we were just grappling with a few questions of direction and meaning and what that looked like. I was involved at that time uh, with the Church Missionary Society in youth camps. Okay. So I was leading on them yep. and I'd been doing that for a few years. Um, and they'd been really, uh, in leading, I'd, I'd formed some really deep friendships and I'd had opportunity to, to walk alongside a whole bunch of kids, often missionary kids who were coming yep. back and... Uh, I really enjoyed being part of that. I love the Church Missionary Society. I love mission work and, and these kids. And so a job came up in that year that we returned um, as a youth and children's worker at CMS. Uh, I had no experience whatsoever in doing I was in IT. Uh, okay. So very few people skills whatsoever. Yeah. You know, very few people skills. Uh, no experience teaching, no okay. experience as youth and children. Um, but... Uh, this job was there, and it was just on my heart to uh, to pursue it. I think it was part time, and because of my IT background, I actually mm. brought something else to the job that I could you know, do the rest of the time, which would be really helpful for them. And okay, so, so, oh, so they'd bring you on in a dual role. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I came on and did that for a couple of years. Now I wasn't great at that job. I look to be honest, I was pretty useless at it. I really was. I was all right at the IT component. That was my background, but that's why they kept you on, right? That's exactly why they. They were very generous, but I was useless. Um, I, there's some some good things again that God brought out yep. of that, and some things that are um, have kind of. I still see as a kids' prayer diary um, that that CMS still produce. Okay. I think, oh, that's one of the few things that I did there that's lasted, which that's- is great. But anyway, I loved doing that for a couple of years, but. In that time, I was studying part-time at Bible college okay. as well. Uh, so God was just slowly moving me along, not necessarily in a linear way, but just in exposing me to different people. Uh, mm. It was great spending time with missionaries, people who had just uprooted their life and were heading overseas. I got the privilege of, of seeing them uh, go through that process before they went out and then coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that put on my heart to to keep moving towards and asking the question, where do I go? So we went to Bible College thinking we'd go overseas. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, but again, that, again, we kind of, you know, nothing's ever linear. So when after two years, I went to Bible college full-time and studied. And how old were you at that point when you went to Bible college full-time? Oh, that's a, oh, probably 20, that was probably 26, 27? No, so, probably 27, yeah. So maybe. a lot had still happened in, because you said you got married around 21. Yeah. And you moved overseas, yeah. came back, jumped into full-time. So seven years, that's a lot. Yeah. Particularly early in a marriage as well to kind of, relocate come back just you just like to don't like to do things in half measures do you no well it is yeah it's a good observation about it being early in the marriage as well one of the things which i think we enjoyed about going to london and which it pushed us to do was to work out who we are like why we went to church as well yeah because when we're here everyone expected us to be there every week uh all of our kind of support base was here and they knew if we weren't doing that stuff and you know, it was always a little bit of an incentive, like oh, if we don't, if we don't go, someone's gonna, someone's gonna call, someone's gonna check up, because you know that's what absolutely that's what people do when you're in community. But then you kind of yep. like on in another country, no one knows us, no one will call if we don't go there. That's exactly right. So we had to make some decisions about who we were as a couple, mm-hmm. uh, what we wanted to do, and and I actually found that I, my my wife is much godlier than I am. Um, I found that really hard. Um, mm. Yeah. So anyway, that that kind of. Uh, identity stuff as we're yep. being early, young and early in marriage, um, but working out what it is we wanted to do together. That when we went to Bible college, thinking through, do we go overseas? What do we do? Anyway, we we it turned out 
um, that going overseas wasn't where God was taking yep. us. So we took a job here in Brisbane. Okay, so you moved um, from Sydney then up to Brisbane. Yep, yep. And uh, I worked at a church uh, just an, as an assistant for a couple of years. Yep. Uh, this was uh, this was post Bible college. Post Bible yeah. college. Yep. Finished. Uh, moved up here. And yes, I was assistant working with retirees and okay. working with young families in the congregation. So yeah. did a lot of funerals, did a lot yeah. of baptisms. Okay. Um, two ends and of the spectrum. It was. And it's so post, I look back on that period, that two years, with real thankfulness, particularly for, well, for the friends I made, the young adults, because mm-hmm. that's the age and stage we were at. But the retirees that, that I worked with who are so gracious to me, this young punk coming up. So I used to go and visit them. Yeah. Um, I learned pretty quickly when they say, would you like a tea or coffee? You always say tea, never say coffee. Um, uh, yeah, is that because the instant comes out? It, that's exactly yes, what happens. Okay. And you yeah. don't want like, if it comes out, you've got to have it. You well, that's have a tip, to drink that's it. That's a tip for young players who oh, are listening. Like, always a, offer, uh, go for the tea. Always. That's a pro tip, that one. <laughs> I suffered many times. Um, slow learner. But... That retiree age was so gracious and generous to me mm. in that time. Walking alongside me, they knew I was a young punk. They they knew I didn't know what I was doing. Yep. They invited me to stuff. They invited me to their morning teas. They invited me to their bus trips. Yep. Uh, they included me. They prayed for me. They told me they prayed for me. Yep. And it just created this foundation that after two years as, as an assistant, um, uh, when I moved to look after the evening congregation, which was young adults, okay. And then plant a church out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the foundation of prayer and support mm. for my whole time planting. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't have manufactured that. Uh, and they're still, whenever I see them now, um, they still say they're praying for us when I run into them. Yeah. They are just, and many of them have gone to glory. Um, I've got all their calendar, their birthdays in my calendar, and often the, the days that they died as well. Um, but yeah, they were they were huge. I'm really thankful for them. Yeah, and that's so, I think that's so special to have, um, particularly for planters who are out there, or when you're even when you're pioneering a new ministry, it can feel isolating. Mm. So so to, to know that you've just got a a massive network of people praying for you, but b also the ability to kind of go and have a tea, not a coffee, with them. And and all that those years of, of wisdom to kind of pour in and be like it's it's not as bad as you think yeah it's also not as good as you think either <laughs> but but the world is not going to fall around because you didn't no. you know you didn't preach a great message or you you messed up on that pastoral care conversation so yep. that's super powerful so mm. so it was the was that night service in that congregation did that exist or did you start that um, with the, with the very deliberate intention to plant out of it or was that kind of something that it's kind of like, hey, you've been here two years, time to oversee that, and God just kind of works. And you're like, oh, it's, it's time for us to plant. Yeah, so I, I look, it was an existing service, so okay. I, I started looking after it, but it was um, kind of hitting the boundaries of the amount of people who could fit in a room at okay. that point. So we knew we needed to do something. So when I took it over, I knew something needed to happen. Um, a couple of months before that, and this was part of the movement because we, we – Knew something needed to happen with that. We knew there was um, going to be a vacancy at that spot, so we needed to work out who okay. was going to take over and, and move it forward. Um, I, uh, now Mark Driscoll came out, I think, in, two, in the year before I planted. Okay. He came out to, to Brisbane, and we hosted him. Our church hosted him and, and all, put on an event in Brisbane for him. Yep. And um, now I, I recognise now you're not, you know, we've kind of, there's been some things happen with Driscoll that sure. uh, has has been hard to process. He hasn't behaved in ways mm. which we would, you know, always, um, yeah, always approve of. Makes it sound really, you know, kind of law based there. But you know, he's done some stupid stuff. Yeah, oh, and I think he would acknowledge that he's done some, some silly things as well. Absolutely, absolutely. But I want to say he, when he came out, one of the things he does do very well, and he did do very well, was stir the pot. Okay. And he put the need of the lost before a whole bunch of people and did push people to say, stop being comfortable, do yeah. the hard thing. And that really resonated with me. Because um, okay. ministry isn't easy, but it can be very, very comfortable. Yes. So you can yes. just ease into the, the routine um, of doing things day by day, of, of being paid for it. And people in ministry generally, at least in my experience, in my denominations I've worked in, Paid pretty comfortably. They're yep. never going to earn a million bucks, sure. um, but they are certainly paid enough to, to get by. And mm-hmm. so it can be quite comfortable doing that. 
So I, I'd heard, and that really resonated. So I remember one, um, I haven't had many nights like this, but okay. I remember one particular night about a month after he came um, where I just could not sleep. And I, I was praying nearly the entire night thinking about what to do. And it was on my heart to plan. Um, I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't know where. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had obligations and responsibilities in church I was at. Um, but then this evening service petition came up and we knew we needed to do something. Yeah. And one of the options was going off-site. And okay. so taking a small group from that and planting in uh, Brisbane City. Yeah. And, was, and w- would you say that... Um, it, it doesn't sound to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Driscoll's thing was... And, and his, the identifying the need of putting the lost before um, before others kind of doesn't sound like it was a moment where you're like it all clicked mm. but it more so seems like a moment where it activated something that was stirring within you is that kind of fit, like that because you've you've had this train of missionary kind of in your whole life you know mm. you've gone overseas for missionary but is it that sort of thing that was almost God illuminating to you like this is the missionary part I'm talking about right now Oh, I think it's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, these things don't happen in isolation, do they? They're, they're, it's <laughs> no. often a slow burn, yep. and there, there is sometimes that moment of of, of clarity, and yes, that's what that's it was for me. Um, uh, the the experiences that God had had put around me, and the people He'd put around me, the conversations He'd uh, He'd um, put me within. At this point, with what was in front of me, uh, it was that it was that moment of clarity to yeah. say. Here is a way, given how you're you're wired and the opportunities uh, that you could you know use them for the good of the kingdom, and so that's what it was. And then, so talk us through that process of how you went from um, taking a taking a night service and with the potential of relocating, and then because I I can just see as someone who's been in a similar like there's uh, not uh, exactly the same, but there's some definitely some parallels between. And what you did in that situation and what I've done with planting with that team, that's just fraught with like challenges and difficulties of like, are we planting? Are we not planting? Are we, how does that, how does that work? So talk us through that process that occurred. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot of things wrong in this process, <laughs> a huge amount of things wrong in hindsight. And one of the things that I, in my current job I do is, is talking to people about how they do this well. Um, okay. And part of that learning is not only from the whole network of churches we've got that are doing it, but from my own history of doing it badly at points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we it all happened relatively quickly. So within okay. six months of, of, so from January when I took over to June when we launched, um, we'd, we'd moved from there not being within the congregation to thinking we don't know what's happening to yeah. where we're going to plan the church, which is okay. very... That's, that's rapid. Quick time, yeah, it's quick. So one of the effects of that was that people, um, yeah, People, it took a while for people to catch up afterwards as to the impact. So when you say to, to people, do you, do you want to reach the lost and plant a church? No one's going to say no. <laughs> no one's going to say no. Now, as a leader, you can use that as kind of a, a trap. You know, you said you wanted to do this. So what's yeah. your problem now? Yeah. Um, but actually, for leadership, we want to take people along with us. And one of the things that, that um, I didn't do well was, first of all, think through the implications for those who might be left behind. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so left behind, it, it seems like a strange thing to say, but that's how they felt. So when we took the people out and planted, so I think it was 20, 25 people, mm-hmm. um, we took from a congregation of about 110 or something like that, mm. and we planted. Um, the 25 we took out were keen, firing, um, yep. ready to go, something new, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And the people who remained... Uh, I think felt like well they did feel like they were the leftovers at points they okay. weren't yes um, but where was their vision all the excitement was over here yes. and where was their vision what were they doing um, so and, sorry I could imagine that puts you in a in a difficult situation particularly as a planter because you can't come out and say well that's that's actually not my role to give you vision mm-hmm. you shouldn't be looking to me and our team for vision that's actually the responsibility of of your church and your team, but you're in an awkward 
position because you've got to support the leadership who's supporting you at that yeah at yeah that juncture and look i would love to offload my mistakes to other people here's the problem though okay. i was also leading that church as well <laughs> so i was doing both i was doing both and okay. so um i was tr- i was trying to gym again because i had no framework I hadn't done this before yeah i was trying to work out like i was talking to the people who were remaining and I, so i was leading both i planted and I was overseeing the evening service back at where we were. Oh, sorry. So the evening service alone was 110. Yes. Yes. Ah, sorry. I was thinking like a, the, the morning service and the evening service oh, combined. No, okay, no right the evening okay. service 110. We took about 20, 25 out of there. Okay. So it's still a sizable core there. Yeah. But over time, what we saw because of this, this excitement thing, there was a drip feed across to the church plant. People mm. who were on the fence before, who were kind of waiting and seeing what would happen with this plan. When they saw it and thought that looks exciting, they kind of trickled across, yeah. which impacted the existing evening service because they just felt like, oh, you know, what are we here for? Everyone exciting just keeps disappearing. Yeah. Um, but it was my responsibility because I was overseeing both. Okay. Yeah. To cast vision for both, and I naively assumed that the vision that existed for the evening service would just keep continued to exist. What they didn't need anything new. Yeah. We just need to keep doing what they were doing. As where the new thing needed something new. As where actually, you know, so what I needed to do was re-envision both of them. A new vision for the plant, mm-hmm. a new vision for the existing congregation as well in order to help them see that they weren't staying as leftovers. They were there on mission as well. And I, I can imagine that's a really difficult thing to do because you've got your head in two spaces, which are two vastly different spaces. One's pioneering, one's almost like reimagining or, or re-engineering. So, so how did that, like, what was the transition after that? So you've kind of planted, there's this tension here. Um, how did you navigate that tension? And then what, what was the result afterwards? Yeah, um, I think looking back, I think the, the things that we got right, um, particularly in the, in the people who were at the original evening service, we employed um, thoughtful people that worked alongside me and ultimately took over that congregation. That played a huge part. Yeah. So a guy named Webber Hugh was the guy who was with me initially mm-hmm. um, when I planted, and he uh, did a lot of the work on the ground to hold people together and to care for them and love them in mm-hmm. that moment. Um, he was uh, followed by a guy named uh, Mitch Smart. Uh, Mitch did an excellent high EI um, okay. Very good with people and uh, just loved people really well through a tricky phase mm-hmm. and began to help them see again, no, no, we're not leftovers. You know, we are a community of God uh, put here to love and care for each other and to reach our friends. And so he, the thing we got right was finding the right people um, to care for them in that, uh, in that moment. I think, again, the ways in which we would go about would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in God's grace, even though it was hard for both, I don't want to say things are easy at the plant. They weren't. Yeah, because um, church planting is is just normally super easy for everyone. Yeah, that's it. been my experience. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, but there is there is something when you set out on an adventure. No one sets out on an adventure and expects it to be kind of smooth sailing. Yes. But if you're sitting at home, no one expects things to be hard. Yeah. And so that was the experience. So, and we were just sitting here and now everything's moved. You've pulled the rug out. Mm. and it's not comfortable anymore, and that's a different dynamic. And, and was that difficult for you, um, raising that leadership up at the existing congregation? Because I, I imagine, and I think a lot of leaders, and maybe it's just me, a lot of leaders feel that tension of like, well, I've got to be the person to come up with the answers. I've got to be the person to do it. But one thing that I notice in your story is that you were very deliberate about, well, I don't know if I can be the person to provide all these answers, so bringing up these leaders. Was that something that was difficult for you to do or was it more that like, well, I've got two congregations to look after. I just don't have the capacity, so I got to do it. Like, Yeah, it's a good question. It's always a bit of both, I think, mm-hmm. as well. The people who I admire who are, who are excellent leaders, the things that I think they do the best, the thing I think they do the best is they surround themselves by very, very good people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that can happen by accident. And I think, you know, in this circumstance, part of it was by accident. Yep. Um but it is about recognising those people and the, the contribution mm-hmm. they make, even though it might be different to yours, and not feeling threatened in that either. Yeah, that's like, good. It's, it's easy when you take the plan and you're overseeing it um, to feel threatened by someone who comes in after you, even in any ministry. Yeah. If it looks different to what you do, it feels like a critique of you. Yeah. Um, if people make the comment, I'm really enjoying X 
at church think, oh, did you not enjoy me there? Yep, yep. Yeah, no, that's is. Uh, so I think the good leaders I know have an ability to surround themselves with people who are uh, different to them, uh, are, are good leaders, are thoughtful people, and uh, empower and let them lead rather than feeling threatened by that leadership. And I think in those circumstances, even in church planning by itself, you have to raise up other people. Mm-hmm. And if you only raise up other people who are exactly the same as you, you will only ever reach a very small segment and your ministry will look one-sided. Yeah. And my theology of the body pushes me to say, actually, people are all different. Yeah. And if they're not all different, the problem is actually with my leadership um, rather than them. That's really insightful. And so... You're at the point now. Have you have you have you completely handed off the evening congregation to the to the leaders that raise it up? And now are you you completely at village at this point? Uh, it, was it village? No. Yeah, that's right. Village. Yeah, is yeah. the church plan. Uh, two years in. Two years in. Okay. Yeah, uh, we we handed off um, and to the guy, and he did a great job of, of leading mm-hmm. that. Uh, and village was at the point where it had hit a couple of growth barriers, and it needed more of my attention. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, the splitting myself wasn't working. Sure. And I, I yeah, there was a an awkwardness in village was at five o'clock and the evening service was at seven o'clock and so I would, you know, sometimes I preach for a little bit long. Yeah. And so I would preach for a little <laughs> bit wrong, long, and then because I would preach at late church as well. Yeah, yeah. I have to kind of wave goodbye as I was saying amen um, out the door into the car. <laughs> we need to deal with that dynamic. It wasn't good sure. for community for yeah. me just to kind of you know up and out. Yeah, be the talking talking head and off. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm not I'm not a good enough speaker that I can just pop up and disappear. People need to get to know me before they live. Um, so yeah, so I, that was the next stage for village and the next stage for for late church as well. The evening service, yeah. the other one, uh, they needed to to take the next step forward. And so, how long? Obviously, um, you've transitioned out of village at at this point in time that we're having the conversation. So how how long were you you at village? Um, four in the end and then what led to that kind of the phase or the transition that you're in right now yeah so it would have been about the seven or eight year mark um of village that i transitioned out Mm i um i moved uh and the the reason for that is village had grown relatively relatively quickly okay um through no uh good leadership necessarily my own just God's good grace where it was. Um, people become Christians. And and with every stage of growth, there's different challenges. Mm-hmm. And your leadership needs to change. Um, the dynamics change. One of the things we know for church planners particularly, you know, you've experienced as well, I suspect, is that um, when you plant with a group of people, you are so tight with them. Mm-hmm. You're in each other's lives because you're planning and scheming and thinking and praying yeah. and you're doing everything together. It's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. When you start pushing that 80, 100, 120, 150 barrier, yeah. all the dynamics within church change. Yeah. And so the relationships change as well. And that's that's quite draining on everyone, actually. Yeah. Um, and so we find as well with our church planners, there's often a there's two humps that they hit. Sure. First one is about two to three years in. Okay. Um, it could be early in that, depending on how things have, you know, the growth and things like that. But and is that associated with a number or is it just more so the time frame of the energy drain from doing it for that long? Yeah, it's good. It could be a bit of both, actually, I think. Okay. Sometimes, I, here's my theory, and look, you can edit this out later if you like. <laughs> here's my theory. I think in church plans, um, people who are joining on a church plan, whether they're part of the launch team or they're part of the people who join initially, mm-hmm. They, we all seem to be able to hold it together for about 24 months. Okay. That is, everyone has problems. I've got problems, everyone's got problems, but we yeah. seem to be able to hold those pastoral problems together because we're all on mission, we're doing something yeah. exciting. Yeah. Then when you hit that two-year period or thereabouts, um, that those the real life probably needs to catch up yeah. a little bit. So those pastoral problems start coming out. Okay. And for the church planning, you think, we didn't have these in the first two years. <laughs> I ran the perfect church. Everyone was saved. Everyone was sanctified. It was all okay. And then we realized, oh, no, the doctrine of sin is playing out here again. And so I think at that two years, things start to to leak out a little bit. And it it is tiring because you're still running everything. You're still getting it up and going. Well, it's not as if you can kind of just put church on hold and deal with all Now you've got to deal with all these pastoral care issues on top of 
yep. just ministry and and uh, and life in general. Yep, and it's just and you know you might have built some leaders, but you often haven't built a huge amount of capacity in there. You're still doing that. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, there is there is this tension at two years that I think we see. Um, uh, yeah, plan seed. The other one is about seven years, six or seven okay. years, about the long service period. Actually, that yeah. ten year okay. mark because two or three years before that they're planning and praying and getting ready. Yeah, and the ten years they're feeling tired. Uh, and I think for me, I hit about the six year mark at Village, um, and we were hitting. You know, I, I, numbers are not important. We right. we were hitting. We were hitting a, a particular point where we'd, we'd had, um, we had, I had an assistant, great guy, mm-hmm. uh, number of apprentices, trainees on yeah. as well. Um, and uh, the dynamics within church, the barrier we kept hitting um, required a significant change in how we did stuff if we were going to move yeah. forward. Okay. Um, and what I felt like as I reflected for a while, I thought, look, I could probably take three months off, kind of six months off mm-hmm. long service leave. And I could possibly come back. I know what needs to be done. That wasn't yeah. the question. The question was, do I have the emotional energy at this point to do it? Yeah. And I don't want to get back after three, six months and think, oh, no, I don't have the emotional energy. I think village is more important than that. I think the people we're reaching were more important than that. Uh, so I decided I think the best thing for village at this point is for me to step back and for mm-hmm. someone else to take it on. That was really hard because I loved village and I love village. Yeah. Um, and I miss the people there. Uh, the guy who's taken it over, really thankful. He's an excellent guy. Um, but for me, I look back and think, oh, it was a, it was a right decision at that time. Mm-hmm. The church wasn't about me. Yeah. Um, I'd set it up so it could run independently of me. So mm-hmm. I'm really thankful that it, it's kept going strong. And how is that um, transition done? Because, you know, obviously... Um, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months we in the news, if you're following like a lot of Christian news, there's been a, a number of high profile leaders who have made some, made some mistakes and mm-hmm. missteps. And so been um, had to step down. How did you handle that transition? Cause it's, it's one thing to kind of for someone's sin to come to the fore or, or something that's happening. That's kind of been kept behind closed doors, come to the fore and you think, right, we've got to deal with this. It's another thing to know. I actually need to bring someone else in mm-hmm. to replace me. What was that trans? Was that something that you walked with the leadership through, or was that something that you kind of announced to the leadership and and they said, "Hey, we're going to take it from here, Derek." Yeah, it, it was really hard. Mm. It was a really hard year that one, um, and it's always hard to know with this. Um, I, I I didn't part of my leaving was I didn't want to get to the point where I felt like I was burnt out and lashing out. Yeah. Um, and so stepping back before I got to that point, catching myself so that I left in a way which was good for church mm-hmm. um, was really important to us. Uh, and so we gave a significant amount of heads up to the leadership of church to say, this is where we think we're at. Um, we're we're going to step down at the end of the year. I think this is probably March or April, something like that. Okay, yeah. Long time, long lead time for the yeah. elders in the church. Um I want to work with you to work out how we do this well and when we announce things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did take the lead on that stuff, um, yeah. and they uh, we worked together to work out how will the transition out go, how we manage after it. I worked that year to to set up things as well. Okay. But the the dynamics of leaving in those situations is tricky as well because as soon as you tell everyone in church you're going, mm-hmm. um, people just automatically start to detach from you as yes. the leader. It yes. just happens, and no one's fault, just how it is. Uh, and so we experienced that, and that was hard because mm. this is a church we've been a part of. So our, our kids are all there. Yep. Um, so f- to feel people detaching from us was really hard. Um, but yeah, if we did it again, one of the things we would do differently is have a slightly shorter time frame for okay. the public. Yeah. We don't want it to be four weeks. Yeah. We want people to go to process it and say goodbye mm-hmm. and say it's not about us and move on. Um, but w- I felt like the elders did a good job of transitioning across mm-hmm. Um, I tried not to be too involved in the process of saying who I think should take over. Sure. But in God's good providence, the guy who took over was the guy I think who should take over. But I didn't <laughs> want to say that out loud. Um, no, no, no I, I, I get that. Because yeah, you, like, it's, there, there's a, a large part of you that it's gone into this. And yeah. so you kind of want to think, you know, like, I want this to continue to be fruitful. You know, there's part of us, it's like, you know, God, I know that you've got this, but I, I just want to kind of have my hands on it a little bit. Yep, yep, absolutely. And for the guy, it's always a two-pronged thing with with when you leave in that as well. Because when you see people, um, 
part of the sinful nature wants you, wants to say, oh, I really miss you. you know, mm. they, yeah. they, oh, that feels good to hear that. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, there's also the other side of thing when they say, "Oh, I'm really enjoying you know X, Y, Z leading the church now." Again, there's that. Oh, you know, what did I do wrong? But actually, I I have tried to work really hard, and it's been quite easy to at, at some points to um, push people when I see them for to say, "What are you what What are you enjoying about it?" What are you, mm. Cutting the guy mm. who's taking over a lot of slack. Yeah. Um, I think he was the right guy, yeah. telling people that, pushing people back. Yeah. They're saying, I'm thinking about going, it's not the same. Of course it's not the same. That's not supposed to be the same. That's exactly right. But you weren't committed to me. You were committed to the church. Yeah. So pushing people back towards that, having a bigger vision than... than, oh, cool. than I think that starts five years before you leave, actually. Yep. Detaching people from yourself. Not in an unhealthy way, but just say, we're not here because of me. No, we're here because of the vision that God's given us. Absolutely. That's really cool. And so now you're in this this other phase and um, I'm conscious of time. Maybe we'll have to get you back on in, a, in, a, another, Sorry, in another episode. No, it's it's been awesome. So so now now you're um, you're in, in the Geneva Push Network um, doing some stuff there. Explain um, for our listeners who, who are not familiar with Geneva Push, what it is, your role um, within that network. Yeah, uh, so Geneva Push is a church, Australian church planting network. Um, and so we've got about 100 churches in the network across Australia. Okay. We're cross-denominational, uh, so we work with um, uh, reformed evangelical churches, ir- irrespective of the, um, of the denomination. And uh, our vision is to see hundreds of churches evangelised into existence. So this year we celebrate 100 um, it's but so good. It is. It's amazing That's work incredible. of God. In ten years' time, that is an amazing work of God. Uh, but we we know more churches have closed in that ten years than than have mm. opened. So we have hardly even scratched the surface of what needs to happen. Uh, we've got churches in the country, rural, yeah. uh, rural, uh, in the inner city suburbs, church in hard places, all over the the country. But um, yeah, we know that as we look at the need. You know, it's 23 and a half million people yeah. who still don't know Jesus, and uh, we need uh, we need just to keep planting churches and strengthening existing churches. And so, talk a little bit about um, your role now as pouring into the next generation of um, of church planters. Maybe maybe you could share like what are some trends that you're seeing within church planting within the Australian context I know you said like very very broadly you're in you know you're in urban you're in regional you're in church in hard places but are there any are there any general trends um, that you're observing across the network yeah um, there well there's a few areas that where we've seen in the last few years there was probably a, probably five six years ago there was a um, maybe ten years ago post Driscoll there was a sense in which church planting was sexy it was okay. the cool thing to do, <laughs> uh, you know, the inner city, latte sipping, hipster. Yeah, yeah. That that's, was, all, that's all church planters do. They just drink coffee all day. Hey? That is exactly, that's what it's we're all doing now. pastors do in general. Oh, and golf all for me, but not for <laughs> Not probably a younger generation. No, no, but, not um, for me. That's, um, sin comes out too much when I play golf. <laughs> is that right? Oh, geez. Uh, anyway, that's, for, for us, we saw an excitement around planting. Uh, a number of churches planted. Um, but then I think people started to cotton on, oh, this is really hard work. Church planning isn't sexy. It isn't, you know, there's not much glory in it. It's mm-hmm. just really hard work. And so we saw a slowdown of people thinking through planning. Now, one of the things I do when I go to, to talk to people at colleges, I, I ask the question, you know, slightly provocatively, you know, when are you going to plant a church? Bible colleges, yeah, yeah. when are you going to plant a church? Um, now, nearly to a T, everyone pushes back on me. And what I've realized is that, the the reason they most people don't picture themselves as a church planner is because they have in their head that Mark Driscoll type of alpha male. Okay. And so yeah. in terms of a network, one of the things we're saying, we've been working on the last few years, and the trends we're seeing is to help people see that there are different models and opportunities for church planning, ways in which sending churches can plant churches that doesn't just have to be some sort of alpha male, highly entrepreneurial person being sent into the middle of nowhere and creating something from the ground. Having this charismatic personality that's able to rally people and all of a sudden, you know, revival. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Look, to be honest, most people we see like that don't last very long. Okay. And there's a a, um, a flash, uh, there's there's a big moment, 
but they don't la- leave a lasting legacy. That's, that's really um, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so so what do you like? Like, so they plant a church, lots of people, and then all of a sudden, like, just different circumstances, or just not a lot of emotional health, or what? What is it that leads to that kind of flash? Do you think? Yeah, I th- uh, theologically, I think mm. if I was going to diagnose it from that angle, I think I'd say there there is an identity issue that can come with church planning. You mm. can get caught up in it, and you can become narcissistic about it can become yeah. about me who i am is tied up in the success of this church plan um and therefore when people disagree with me on things within the church plan i can take a heavy i will take a heavy hand because it's it's an identity attack now right? exactly what it is so this yeah. is no longer about the gospel it's about me yeah. and i think we see uh, yeah, we've seen a number of instances where where things have a very charismatic, very capable leader has done what looks like from the outside some amazing work, but when you diagnose and dissect it, it will it, it has imploded because mm. it actually has been about them and not the gospel. Now, that's not to say that people who are charismatic yeah. um, in personality and who are very gifted yeah. can't plan good churches. That's what, not what it's saying, but church planning has been attached to um, personality cults in the past. And uh, yeah, that's a good distinction to make that there's not a specific type of personality that's required to plant a church. Because I'm guessing, I mean, we, we've probably got a lot of leaders who listen to this and a lot of leaders who are like, well, well I'm not charismatic, but I've got a heart for church planning. Can I do that? Because yeah. all I ever see are these speakers who like have rooms full of thousands of people packed. Like, mm. what, is that really what it's like? But you're saying that's not the case. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, the average church size in Australia is about 70. Um, now, most churches, yeah. most church plans, we, we, we did a study a few years ago, most church plans get to that point in about okay. three years, three to four years. Yeah. Um, but there aren't many churches over 150, 200. Mm. But that doesn't mean, you know, if you can't grow a church over 200, you shouldn't plant a church. They're actually often different skills. Some people yeah. can move a church from nothing to a 1,000, but not many people. Yes. Um, it's a particular gifting to get something started. It's a different gifting to, to run a church to a 1,000. But... The models that you use for for planting, um, so if you take 30 people out of a church, that's a different mm. model than starting something from scratch. Yes. And so there's a, a different type of person who can plant, like a mother-daughter church ascending yeah. or a multi-site church. So I know mm-hmm. you're connected with North Point um, mm. uh, and Andy Stanley, so they run a multi-site model, uh, yep. those guys. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a different leader who would run a multi-site campus than who would do a parachute or a mother-daughter yes. or a church in hard place. Yes. Someone who does church in hard places, like often lower socioeconomic, um, they need to be patient strategists. They're mm. never going to see explosive growth. Yes. It just doesn't work like that. Um, so they need to be patient strategists. Uh, they need to just be able to connect with people from a broad range, handle much bigger ambiguity and much greater range of uh, brokenness often mm. than people who would plant in suburban areas where people hide all that stuff very, very well. And it sounds even that, um, to me, like what you're highlighting is the fact that if you want to go into church planting, before you get into it, that's the time to get emotionally healthy. Mm. Because it sounds like because an emotionally unhealthy leader is someone who's like, well, I want to look like that, even though the reality is I'm nothing like that particular personality type. Recognizing and going, who is, who is it that God's created me to be, gifted me to be? And given that gifting, what's perhaps the best approach if, I, if God's called me to church planting, to begin to pro, uh, to begin to plant, oh, that's it's a great analysis. I think it's exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, work out here. Look, Tim Keller talks about um, planting and ministry as well um, as as um, amplifying uh, your bad characteristics. It doesn't have to, but that's mm-hmm. what it can do because it will. If you are in it for yourself. Church planning particularly is a perfect opportunity to be narcissistic, mm. to build something around yourself, to build a cult following. Um, but, you know, so you're right. You want to be, you want to have your identity secure in Christ. You want to be emotionally healthy yeah. before you get in because it will push and stretch you on that. In terms of how you want to plant, yeah, it's good to think through how you're wired as a leader and what types of models of planting might suit you and that's a lot that's where a lot of work we've been doing as a network has been yeah and because i've noticed um having had a little bit to do um with you personally and looking at the network that you guys spend a lot of time on the front end pouring into and loading church planters before that launch date yeah that ever ever comes is that something you guys have, have found from first-hand experience as opposed to 
um, you know, just, oh, well, why don't you plant and then we'll figure it out together as we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do do that last one, figure it out as mm. you go, because it's, <laughs> it's always like that planning. But um, you, you're absolutely right. The, the, the front end for us is huge because we, we want the right people um, planning in the right way, in the right places. I like that. Now, um, we, if we have a little mantra we kind of go, go on about in Geneva as well to our planters and in assessments as well, which is the front end, that if the church plant fails, that, that's a shame. Mm. If the marriage fails, that's a tragedy. So we would see church planting couples mm. as a team. Yeah. And part of the assessment process is not only saying, well, who are you trying to reach? Yeah. And how are you trying to reach them? That's a key part because we want planners to be able to articulate that. Who am I trying to reach? How am I trying to reach them? But they're going to do that together. And we mm. think if even if they reach those people in an effective way, if after five years their marriage breaks down, we would say we don't we don't want your plan. Just just hold back for a while, yeah. work that out. So we we want to help. It's about caring for people, actually. Yeah. Um, so how, how we help them self-select out, encourage them into a different role or ministry. Because um, in the end, they not only damage themselves and their marriage, but if they plan a church, it has impacts on the whole church as well. So, And, yeah. and I think that's kind of what you were highlighting earlier, that like church planters, yeah, there is that narcissistic quality because there's that narcissistic quality in all of us um, because of sin. And so identifying that early, mm. putting things in place that can protect you, um, having high accountability is it's ultimately what we want at the end of the day because at the end of the day, what we want is people to meet Jesus, not people to meet us and, mm. and hear us. Well, as we wrap up, um, we might we might do some quick fire questions yeah. um, just to kind of um, finish on a note, learn a little bit more about you and then we'll, um, we'll uh, be able to connect people um, with a way that they can... Um, contact you if they want to find out a little bit more about Geneva push. If people are curious about um, church planning, but Derek, some quick fire questions. What's your favorite food or restaurant to eat at? Uh, I love Japanese, which unfortunately you experienced before you came here. Sorry, I bought you sushi. I really love Japanese. It's no, great. I love sushi. It was yeah, good. It was, it was delicious. Yeah. Uh, what do you wish you'd known when you started in ministry? Uh, that not everyone is going to love me all of the time. <laughs> That's a good one. Mm. And how do you stay fresh in ministry? Uh, I've surrounded myself uh, with, I've got a few close friends who are thoughtful guys who push me. Um, so thoughtful guys. That's cool. And uh, what are you curious about right now? Oh, I am really, I've just read a book called The Fifth Discipline. Uh, just a secular book. It's excellent. I'm um, make a note of that. Uh, yeah, it's great. Just about how ecosystems work um, because I, I'm realizing more and more that churches, we often see churches in atomistic ways. Okay. Small groups, preaching, mm-hmm. this here, this here. As we're actually, as leaders, we need to be stepping back and seeing how the whole system works together in order to know when we pull one lever, how it impacts it all. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I guess this kind of connects to this. Maybe there's something else. What have you read listened to recently that has challenged you? Uh, yeah, well, that book has. Yep. Um, I've really enjoyed that. The book I'm reading at the moment, so I finished the fifth system, but I'm, oh, that was that was an audible book. So okay. I don't know if that's reading. Is that reading? Well, it, count, it counts. Okay, yeah. well, I'll throw you another one anyway. It's called The Madness of Crowds, the one that I'm reading at the moment. The Madness of Crowds. The okay. Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. Um, it's about groupthink, polity ident- uh, politics, identity, um, and the impact it has on, on society. I like that. We'll link to those in the show notes anyway so people can um, check them out. And final question. Is there something I should have asked you, but I didn't? Is there something you should have asked me, but you didn't? Yeah, like, I really want to get this out. Oh, uh, no, actually, I think you're a good interviewer, actually. So I think this is, I've gone too long. Um, but no, there's nothing. I'm an open book. If people want to know, they can email me. That's good. But I'm not that interesting. So, <laughs> Well, Derek, if, if people do want to get in contact with you, if people want to get in contact um, with Geneva Push, find out a little bit more about church planning. What's what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, they can go to the website, GenevaPush.com. Uh, email me, Derek, D-R-E-K, GenevaPush.com. Uh, and oh, I'd love to have chat. If you're thinking about planning, your church is thinking about planning, you want to nudge someone else to plan, mm. anything about planning, I'm up You're for the it. man. Oh, yep. Well, Derek, thanks so much. I think we'll have to get you back on the podcast at some point and um, and finish up the other part of the conversation we didn't even get to. But it's good to be you, so mate. Much. Thank you. Well, that was such a insightful 
conversation with Derek on his experiences and his time church planting and also now pouring into the next generation of church leaders. I hope you found that helpful. I hope it perhaps challenged your thinking and maybe broadened your thinking into some new areas that you hadn't thought about before. And like I said during the interview, we're going to link to the show notes for that book, The Fifth Discipline, The Madness of Crowds, and also Geneva Push if you're curious. Thanks so much for tuning in on the Aussie Church Leaders podcast for this episode. Remember, you don't have to do everything today but you can do one thing that will help you lead stronger for longer tomorrow. We'll see you next time.